Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta taking a look at this gospel reading for Sunday and guiding us through it. We've got Peggy Stanton. Uh, Peggy joins us weekly uh, on this exercise. She's the author of From the White House to the White Cross, and she's a dame of the Order of Malta. She was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent and has hosted many programs with us at Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. In fact, uh, her newest book is The Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. Peggy, good to have you again. Thank you, Al. Good to have you here. (laughs) Well, let's go to Matthew 21, verses 33 to 43, and I'll read this passage, and then we'll get to what you've discovered about it uh, as you've been reflecting on it through the week. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Hear another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants, more numerous than the first ones, but they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered him, He will put those wretched men to a wretched death and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper times. And Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that will produce its fruit. Well, (laughs) Well. that is a sobering uh, presentation, uh, and it had the it had to have been quite a shock to people. Uh, this is actually p- part of a series of, of parables and teachings that Jesus has mm-hmm. uh, about this idea that um, the original, uh, those who were originally sent to the vineyard, those who originally uh, were to participate in the wedding feast, uh, uh, end up, disqualifying themselves mm-hmm. one way or the other. So tell me, what uh, what did you learn? Well, you know, it's funny. that When you first hear that um, gospel, <laughs> you think, oh, my, what an exaggeration. I mean, <laughs> why would the owner even put up with one set yeah. of, of um, residents who were not producing yeah. uh, the, the products he wanted and were, you know, beating and killing the uh, the representatives he sent to collect it. But then I got thinking, you know, that's exactly what happened with God. I mean, he sent his prophets and uh, right. they were badly mistreated. And then he went ahead and sent his son and they killed the son. Yeah. Yeah. So it is that it's clearly... Um, uh, God is the uh, is the cultivator of the vineyard, and uh, the Son, of course, is Jesus. 
And paragraph uh, 756 in the uh, Catechism says, The church is often called the building of God. The Lord compared himself to the the stone which the builders rejected, but which was made into the cornerstone. On this foundation, the church is built by the apostles, and from it the church receives solidity and unity. I chuckle after I was listening to (laughs) your discussion in the previous hour. Uh, This edifice has many names to describe it. The house of God in which the family dwells, the household of God in the spirit, the dwelling place of God among men, and especially the holy temple. This temple symbolized in places of worship built out of stone is praised by the fathers, where we're talking here, the the church fathers, Mm -hmm. and not without reason, is compared in the liturgy to the holy season, the new Jerusalem. As living stones, we here on earth are built into it. It is this holy city that is seen by John as it comes down out of heaven from God when the world is made anew and prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Um, And that's about what we have from the catechism. So I started searching elsewhere. uh, And from the Magnificat is an interesting reflection by Father Paul Scalia, you know, the son of uh, Supreme Court Justice Mm -hmm. Antony Scalia. He says the gospel is all about remembering. He says scripture is full of commands to remember and do not forget. The Ten Commandments likewise begin not with a commandment but with a reminder. I am the Lord your God. After all, if we forget that truth, Father says, then we should not hope we can keep the commandments. Mm. He says, the parable of the wicked tenants is all about Israel's tragic failure to remember. The landowner is the parable, as we said, represents God in the vineyard that he built. The vineyard is Jerusalem, or Israel in general, and the tenants are Israel's leaders, and they fail to remember that God was the one who made their vineyard. We, this is when it gets interesting, we face the same danger as the wicked tenants, Father Scalia warns us. When forgetfulness creeps in, when we forget that it is he who made us and redeemed us, we begin to view ourselves as independent from him. We fall into a false sense of self-sufficiency. We grow to resent his commands as inconveniences, intrusions, and violations of our autonomy. His messengers become annoying to us, and we dismiss them. You know, um, it almost suits, you know, your conversation uh, about marriage, uh, and even the conversation going on in Rome about it, because the catechism is... Uh, I reviewed some of that, and there's a lot on marriage and a lot about adultery and divorce. And uh, for one thing, we get into the communion uh, thing. The the catechism says very clearly that if you are uh, remarried without uh, an annulment, Mm -hmm. 
uh, encourages people to stay in the church and to come to Mass and participate, but you may not go to communion. And it's a very clear statement unless you are living uh, in chastity. Yeah, you know. yeah, uh, that's been that has been the teaching, and it's uh, John Paul II clear, again re- reiterated it in right. Familiar's Consortio. So I'm not uh, I'm not certain where, as I said earlier, this is a it's a puzzle to me, um, but it does seem it does seem clear that there are uh, bishops conferences which are changing in the way that they approach uh, this question and they are they're dealing with a very difficult it's a difficult situation I think this is what Pope Francis has wanted everybody to to recognize that uh, there are times when couples uh, cannot maintain um, um, continence and uh, and Pope Francis has said, well, that's going to have a bad influence on the children. And so uh, they have to then think for, to, through this thing for themselves to see uh, if, the, uh, if the demand of perfect continence is reasonable uh, under their own circumstances. And I, I think, I'm, actually, I'm going to spend a good deal of time this week and Taking a look at how he's responded to these various Episcopal conferences, uh, he back in after Amoris Laetitia was published, uh, he there were a number of uh, Episcopal conferences that proposed ways of interpreting uh, Amoris Laetitia, and he was especially impressed with the bishops of Malta uh, and the way that they interpreted it. So I'm I just. Uh, had Brian pull out their material, and I'm going to be looking at that this weekend. And I'm going to take a good close look at the response to the Czech bishop's uh, statement. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think uh, people have to look at um, our Lord's statement when he was correcting what Moses did. Mm-hmm. It's a very, I wish I had it in front of me, but it's a very strong statement, and that's why people who... I mean, he says it's adultery. Well, uh, yeah, and, and it, it's no more difficult for couples uh, who have been divorced and remarried. It's no more difficult to remain continent today than it was a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, the the same the same um, issues, uh, right, uh, of right. concupiscence, of romance, of wanting to express yourself with your spouse, uh, all that stuff's been going around for a long time. There's mm-hmm. been no news. There's there's really not much new there. No. It isn't as though human Mm-mm. nature has changed. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have to ask yourself, if in fact the church's ch- teaching on this area changes, what is it telling us about human nature? That somehow human nature has now found this demand intolerable? Well, I don't think that uh, we can ever contradict the Lord. No, I don't either. Can we? <laughs> no. I, I, like I said, this is something that's going to have to be hammered out. Yeah. So, well, and it says, uh, it's interesting because uh, Father Scalia uh, says, the church is there constantly reminding us and guarding us against forgetfulness. She is a good mother, 
she forever reminds us of the Lord. There it goes back to what we were just saying. His works and his law. Through her priests and bishops, she puts our Lord's teachings before us always. She points to what he has already accomplished, reminding us that it was he who established us as his vineyard. At the same time, she looks to the future and makes us remember that moment when he will come again and gather his harvest. Mother Church fulfills this, he calls it apostolate to the memory, mm. most especially in the liturgical year. She walks us through the life of Christ. Year after year, she causes us to remember his incarnation, birth, life, passion, death, and resurrection. We revisit his words and deeds over and over again. Furthermore, in the Mass, she actually makes present our Lord's greatest work, his sacrifice on the cross. She makes this sacrifice truly present so that we can conform our lives to it. And she does this in obedience to his own command. Do this in remembrance of me. Mm. And then uh, our our favorite friend, theologian John Bergsma, in his discussion on the gospel, reflects on this sentence that Jesus speaks. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He says the chief priests to whom Jesus is speaking were in fact engaged in a massive project initiated by Herod the Great, rebuilding the temple. Right, right. Yeah, and so this was this architectural imagery uh, is, is very vivid uh, for them. Right, Peggy. Thanks. Good talking with you. Good to talk to you, Al.